Breaking news, local podcast hosts Insane Mike Saunders and co-host Jason Bollinger have gone missing. They were last seen in Hong Kong attending the Kumite, the secret underground fighting competition that takes place every five years. Oh well, time to move on. We have a podcast to record. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer guys uh this is tad you're probably wondering why i'm talking right now because uh as we said earlier mike's not here and uh jason's not here so this should be a very interesting episode please be merciful on us but i do have uh two other co-hosts with me tonight so things should go okay fingers crossed but um yeah thanks thanks for listening thanks for tuning in to attack the killer podcast this is episode 256 and if this is your first time listening to Attack the Killer podcast, it's pretty simple. Um, we are a group of friends. We pick a topic. We talk about films in that topic. And that's your episode. It's usually 90% of the time horror movies. Sometimes we uh, venture off, but mostly horror movies. And uh, yeah, today we're doing uh, canon films, which is really exciting. If you listen to our bonus episode, we got pretty nerdy into it. But we're, we're talking specifically canon horror movies on this episode. Um, but if you want to listen to that bonus episode I mentioned earlier, you have to be an attacker. And um, you might ask yourself, what is an attacker? Well, an attacker is a very special person. It is someone who is a member of our Patreon where they get um, bonus videos, they get uh, killer critiques, they get to request movies for us to watch, they get a lot of videos of me opening toys. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, I, I can't open a toy without recording myself now. So, um, uh-huh. And it's thanks to you guys, the attacker. So if you want to support the show and be awesome like the other attackers, go to jointheattackers.com. Uh, check out all the uh, bonus features over there and sign up. Now, I would like to introduce you to the podcast crew. This is usually where Mike has a really good joke about somebody, but I don't have any jokes. So, Andy, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're two men down, but we won't let you down. Thanks for listening. And, of course, we have a returning guest, an old-time favorite, everybody's favorite. We have Brian Clark back on the show. Hey, I'm like a bad penny. You just can't get rid of me. How's it going, everybody? I missed the bad puns, damn it, Tad. Why didn't you write me a joke? If I would have had a little bit more of a heads up, um, you know, to pull the curtain back, we we heard that um, Mike would not be able to join us just a few hours ago. So um, we're doing with what we have, and I'm not a joke writer, so especially not bad <laughs> jokes and pun jokes. I, I can't even attempt to uh, top Mike stuff. So maybe, uh, you know, Jason will have to do some editing magic and have Mike come in and, and post and, you know, do some fun stuff. But um, <laughs> you don't get jokes with me, and I'm not even going to attempt it. But... Um, this is not where a joke writer, you're a joke hater. That's true. And you might hear some sounds in the background because we're all dealing with severe storms right now too. So, Sorry. um, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm letting the listeners know that we're, um, 
right now, like there's, there's tornadoes flying all around us and you know what? We still love you guys. That's why we're doing this show. No, um, tornadoes can stop us. Life and limb, baby. Exactly. So, uh, the next thing I guess I would do, I have no transition. I'm just going to go right into it. If you're not a listener of shutter, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, all of us love yeah, Shudder. Yeah, you should only listen to Shudder. Well, yeah, if you're not a watcher of Shudder, sorry. <laughs> if you're not if you're not a um, subscriber, a, a Shudderer, then um, what the hell's wrong with you? Because Shudder, right? Shudder, yeah, Shudder is the best. Uh, Mike always says it's a Netflix of horror, and I think that's insulting because that's that's insinuating that Netflix is sort of the top dog, and I say Netflix is the Shudder of garbage. Um, I mean, Netflix doesn't have Joe Bob Briggs, Elvira. It doesn't have uh, any of that great fantastic horror stuff. So um, we have a gift for you. If you do not somehow, for some reason, have Shudder already, you can use the promo code AOTKP. Sign up for a free month. That's right. A free month from us at Attack of the Killer Podcast with the promo code AOTKP. Just plug it in and get watching. Um, So I guess that leads to my next segment um, so I've never introduced my own segment, but here we go. What we okay, Andy, what have you watched recently? Um, I watched um, Spider-Man No Way Home finally with the wife. Um, I think we've touched upon that plenty. I think it is really, really good. Um, sorry, it took me this long to you know get around to it, but uh, yeah, they they wove that together really, really good with uh, the multiverse, and really enjoyed it. Um. I was able to, uh, this is a, a VHS rip by this guy who makes these things. And I know that Tad's, always, I can hear Tad rolling his eyes right now. But um, have you guys ever seen Dan Haggerty in Elves? No. Okay. Fuck yeah, I love Elves, man. <laughs> I watch Elves every Christmas. Yeah, and basically it's about these elves that are brought up, you know, resurrected because they were, and I'm, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. This is the plot. Um, it's elves were um, basically assassins for the Third Reich in, in Nazi Germany, and now they're back and they have to uh, procreate with a, with a female. And Dan Haggerty is a former detective who literally smoked, I think, at least four packs of cigarettes during the course of this film. I mean, he lit- I, I got emphysema watching this. Um, very, very weird and odd film, but uh, actually, I'm happy to say that I, that I own it now. And it's, it's, it's very strange, but at least watch it once just to uh, probably you know, do a riff track on it for yourself. Um, no, you should watch it every year. You know, every every time uh, Vinegar Syndrome makes some post about what would you guys like to see us do, that's always at the top of people's lists. And honestly, really? I'm shocked that they haven't done it yet. The only reason I can think of is they haven't been able to find a, a print of it to, to scan. But if, the shit they can dig up, they can find fucking elves. Come on, Vinegar Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Get your shit together. Give us elves. 4K elves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
Next up, um, this movie came out in um, 2014, and it's a it's a it's a dark comedy, and it's called Space Station 76. And basically, it's a modern movie, but it's um, it's set in the 70s, but um, it but it's it's in the future. I, I know that doesn't make sense, but l- let me put it to you this way. Imagine a movie that was like shot like on the set of like a Logan's Run or Space 1999 um or you know Silent Running that that sort of thing and it it all takes place on this uh this this space station and Liv Tyler and Patrick Wilson are in it and it's just basically these people living their lives out on this sort of uh you know, 1970s version of the future on this, on this space station. And, uh, it's, it's not bad. It's not particularly good, but I just think I would watch it for the set design actually. Cause I mean, that, that's like the really thing about, you know, cool thing about this and all like the, the they have therapists on this ship and, and they're played by the, uh, this thing called Dr. Bot. And, you know, it's, Yeah. It's really kind of cheesy, but I mean, it's worth a watch. And I got a little nostalgic since I got the Blu-ray recently, and I think this is a criminally, criminally underrated um, '80s uh, teenage film. Uh, it's called Three O'clock High. I'm pretty sure Brian's seen this. No, actually, I have not seen that one. I don't you think I've ever have... even heard of it. Oh my god! I've heard think... of it. Yeah. This I, I, um, I'm not a big teen comedy guy, <laughs> but well, this 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 is actually a very very good um, movie. It's basically about uh, this new kid comes into school and he's like this he's a, he's a badass, right? And this sort of nerdy kid in school named Jerry Mitchell, um, he does the wrong thing and he pats him on the shoulder and he says, "This guy's gonna this this new kid's gonna kick his ass at three o'clock." when it comes, you know, when that time comes. So basically during the course of this day, this, this kid is trying to avoid getting into this fight. And eventually, you know, uh, it, it eventually, it eventually happens. Personally, I think it's better than like a Ferris Bueller's day off. I think it's right up there with, with Heather's, um, you know, I don't think it's really going to beat like weird science or, you know, like a 16 candles for instance, but uh, I think it's a very criminally underrated um, 80s uh, teenage teenage film. And freaking Tangerine Dream does the soundtrack. I mean, come on. Uh, and uh, familiar faces that you will that you will see see in this uh, one that really stuns out to me. Um, Mitch Pileggi is actually the school security guard. And if you know who Mitch Pileggi is, he's Horace uh-huh. Pinker. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I watched, and that's what I wanted to talk about. I'll pass it over to uh, Brian, even though it's not my segment to pass. No, I, any help? Any help I can get, Brian? What have you watched? I think you sold me on that movie. All right. Um, oh man, I so last year or yeah, the Black Friday sale. Black Friday sale. I subscribed to Vinegar Syndrome. So I have been drowning in sleaze. Um, so I 
got uh, a movie called Dracula Sucks, which <laughs> I've mentioned to you guys before, <laughs> which is a uh, a porno version of Dracula starring Jamie Gillis, who is also in Water Power. It had to come up. Um, and he actually is is quite a talented actor. He, he was an actor actor, like doing Shakespeare in the park kind of stuff before he did porn. So he actually does a really good Bela Lugosi impersonation. So it's quite a, quite a good, oh, there's my weather alert. Sorry about that. Um, that, uh, yeah, Dracula sucks. 4K Dracula porn. Um, I got uh, a double feature French hardcore horror thing uh, called Dragoose. And I forget the name of the other movie that's in it. So that, you know, that was great. I watched a movie I don't remember the name of. Uh, I bought, <laughs> I bought uh, the Caligula exploitation box set from Severin, the one that comes with the little Roman coin and the photo novella of. <laughs> so I got uh, Joe D'Amato and Bruno Mattai doing dueling Caligula movies. So just huh. ridiculous, silly Italian smut as far as the eye can see. Um, God, I, you know, I hate Letterboxd because I never remember to use it. And then I'll have to go back and log like six movies, but it, it does at least help me remember what I've watched recently. Night of the Big Heat. That one is a really cool one. It's got uh, uh, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing fighting uh, evil sentient poached eggs from outer space that burn people to death on an island in England. Um, okay. Mesa of Mesa of the Lost Women, which has some fucking hilarious narration. I don't know if you guys have seen The Beast of Yucca Flats and all the narration that's in that movie. Mesa of Lost it. Women's narration is just as prevalent, but much sillier. Like the narrator knows exactly how goofy the, the movie is that he's doing. So that's great. And uh, I guess I got some other stuff, but we'll end on Zatoichi's Pilgrimage. Man, Zatoichi movies are like Motorhead records. Uh, you like it or you don't. They're all the same thing. But if you like that one note that they play, by God, it's a fucking great note. Mm -hmm. Kick-ass blind, blind masseuse, who is the world's greatest swordsman, getting into all kinds of shenanigans and kicking samurai ass left and right. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. So someone asked me what I've watched. Hey Tad, what hey. have you watched? Oh man, I've watched so much. Not really. Um, well, I only got a chance to watch a few things um, outside of our podcast movies. And one that I put on like uh, Pluto TV, I think it was. It was on playing one of the movie channels, and I have a bad habit of treating that like cable, where I just throw it on late at night or in the <laughs> afternoon and watch whatever's on. And I, this movie sort of just grabbed my attention because of the cast. And then I started seeing uh, the director was Todd Phillips. Um, it is School for Scoundrels from 2006. Uh, mm. Had Billy Bob Thornton, John Heater, who played uh, Napoleon Dynamite had Michael Dark Michael Clark Duncan, Sarah Silverman, David Cross, Matt Walsh, Horatio Sands, uh wow. John John Glazer, Paul Shear, Ben Stiller, um Louise Gu Guzman, Dan Fogler, uh it had like uh Jim Parsons and Aziz Ansari as uncredited roles in this movie. Uh Andy Daly, wow. Bob Stevenson, Joe Nunez like it's one of those movies where it's like everybody in the movie is recognizable as somebody. Um, and obviously like well before a lot of those actors were what they are now, but um, not a very good movie. Uh, <laughs> John Heater plays a, 
sort of typical John Heater character. He's like a parking meter maid guy. And um, it actually starts off with, um, I think it's Method Man is going to beat him up because he writes him a parking ticket or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the basic premise and message of the story is that John Heater is a loser who can't get any girls and has no confidence. So he attends this class with Billy Bob Thornton as the teacher. And um, Billy Bob sort of is supposed to teach him how to gain confidence and be like a a man. Um, But of course, things don't go as planned. And Billy Bob ends up stealing the one girl that John Heater uh, is in love with, which is like his neighbor. And so it's like John Heater versus Billy Bob Thornton in a clash of machoism. And it's actually pretty bad. Um, But it's just crazy to think like, this is a Todd Phillips movie. And then I was like, all this, all these people are in so much talent and it's not a very good movie. And then, you know, you think he went on to do like Joker and stuff, but uh, yeah, it was pretty typical. I think it's 2006. So pretty typical early 2000 comedy, a lot of um, cringe inducing moments that uh, would not ever be put in a movie now. But uh, you know, at the time they were probably a lot more funny and relevant. So uh, that was the one, one, one I watched on TV, and then one that I cannot stop talking about, cannot stop thinking about, I cannot stop recommending, is Everything Everywhere All at Once, the new A24 um, film. It's done, written, directed by Daniels, um, who also did Swiss Army Man. I don't know if... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're hoping to go see that this weekend, so you shut your more mouth about it <laughs> I, I i won't spoil anything um but like we saw it thursday night which was like an early preview of it and the band sun lux did the score for the movie and they happened to be in iowa city for uh mission creek festival they were playing friday night at the inglert to a sold sold out show and some you know they put two and two together oh we're in iowa city the like night this movie's premiering they should do a Q and a. So they came and did a Q and a before the movie, which it was cool, but it was sort of a bummer that they did it before the movie. Cause we hadn't seen it. So no one had any questions and it was moderated, but it was like they, they were dancing around every question because they didn't want to spoil anything. And, and then they ended up staying for the movie. They sat directly behind us. And it was like, if you're going to stay for the movie, why didn't you do the Q and a afterwards? So we had, we could have had questions, but, um, it's still really interesting hearing their insight and really cool to be like, these are the guys that made all the music to this movie. And they just happen to be here in Iowa and of all places. Um, and, uh, but the movie blew my fucking head off. It was, uh, amazing. Like it was me and Nikki. We went and saw it. And when like the credits ended, like I looked over and she was like, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like, not like that was really good. Or that, that's like my favorite movie of the year. She's like, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And she has a Swiss army man tattoo. And so for her to be like this one, even like impressed her even more, it's just, it it was so good. And, you know, I I keep singing his praises, even though I don't really need to, I think it's one of the um, highest rated movies on IMDb and, and uh, rotten tomatoes right now. It's just getting tons and tons of love from all the critics and festivals and, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is outstanding and a completely different character than she's ever played. And, uh, the cast is awesome. Kwan is, is in it. And he, he was data in the Goonies and in Indiana Jones. And it's his first, oh. his first movie in 22 years. Um, Jesus. 
Yeah, it, his story about it is really cool. I talk a bit about it on First Time Podcast, so sorry if you listen to both. But um, I, this is not a spoiler for the movie. It's just sort of a cool story. What happened is that, you know, he was a big star in the 80s. He was he, he did Data. He, did, he was an Indiana Jones. And then as a lot of kid actors, and especially an Asian kid actor, like when he started getting into those awkward teens and early 20s, like there was no roles for him. So outside of like the racist stereotypical Asian roles. And so he was like, what do I do? So he went to film school and became a like fight coordinator or a choreographer. And so he actually, he actually worked on like X-Men and a few other really big movies as, as a sort of a fight choreographer. But in 2018, he went and saw a movie called crazy rich Asians, which had (laughs) the lead from, uh, everything ever all at once. And he saw that and said he had FOMO. He was like, you know, I really wish I could now that we're being more accepted and we have a spot in film. Like, I really wish I was acting. So he reached out to a friend who, uh, is an old friend that represented some actors. And he's like, do you think like, maybe just put my name out there and see if there's anything that might be interesting for me. And then two weeks later, he got this, and he's like the second and second lead. Like he's right there, and this movie is going to be up for s- some awards. I think this is this movie just is is so good and so crazy. It's like the best comedy, the best action, the best sci fi movie I've seen in the last I don't know twenty years. It's it's so good, guys. Um, That's awesome. See, I didn't know any of the other stuff. Had no idea that the Swiss Army Man guys directed it until you said something about it on Facebook the other day. Had no idea Jamie Lee Curtis was even in it. Wouldn't really have given that much of a shit had I known. I just wanted to go see it because of Michelle Yeoh, because I'm a huge fan of hers. I love kung fu movies, and I think it's super fucking cool that she's kind of getting a little renaissance now. Like when she showed up in Shang-Chi. Marvel movie. Yep. And we got to see her fighting. It was just, oh my God, she's still got it. She's so fucking good. Yeah. And, and again, not a spoiler, but this is another real, really quick. I'll um, I'll now stop gushing after this quick story, but the, this movie has amazing. I mean, the most amazing fight scenes I've seen in in years. It's not like John wick fight scenes. It's like the old Kung Fu seventies fight scenes. And Mm, Daniel kind. Yeah. And and there's, and there's, There's different, um, again, not spoiling anything, different um, multiverses where these characters can learn different, they have different skills and different versions of themselves. So some of them um, know pro wrestling, some of them know kung fu, some of them can fight with their pinkies, some can do whatever. But um, what's really cool is that Daniels, when they were putting this movie together, they they were searching high and low for in, in Hollywood for studios like co- uh, fight um, choreographers that could do this old Kung Fu style where, you know, people were flying and they could do um, superhuman things and, you know, just really cool old school Shaw Brothers shit. And um, as far as I know, the UN family is still in the game. Well, they like, were they the used cor- to do cor- the choreography first. Yeah, well, he's he's one of the. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Corey, I think, is or was the most recent one doing like the Matrix and stuff. But their that is like their family business and has been going back decades. Yeah, so so they they really could not find anybody who they were told over and over again like we can do stuff like you've seen in the Matrix or John Wick or you know these or even Marvel movies, but like nobody does them like the old school kung the old school old school kung fu movies. So. They're like, what if we just like 
Googled it and they found these, these two brothers that go by um, Marshall, the Marshall club. And it's these two brothers um, that are obsessed with Kung Fu movies from the seventies. And so they're self-taught and they watched like every movie on slow motion, pause the scenes and they taught themselves all the moves from famous um, Kung Fu movies. And then they, they started making they gathered their friends and they started making these fun YouTube videos of them just doing stunts and fight and fight scenes. And they're like, you know, these guys have never worked on a movie. They just make these YouTube videos. They reached out and they're like, would you guys be interested in doing our big a 24 film? And so they brought them in and then they were like, Oh, you guys are awesome. Like not only should you like choreograph these fights, you should be in the movie as characters. So they're in the movie. And after they did this movie, this movie, the, the last day of filming was the first day that shit went to um, shit went down with a pandemic. So they literally like put it in the can right before and they've been sitting on it. Um, but because the, this movie happened and there was a lot of buzz going around about it, Marvel heard caught wind of them, contacted them and they did all the fight choreography, choreography for Shang Z or Shang's Shang Chi that you just said. Yeah. yeah. They did all that for that movie too. And and then they've done like another uh, Jackie Chan movie. So these guys went from like just being nice. like dudes in their basement that watched too many movies um, and were fighting each other on YouTube. And now they're <laughs> in high demand. Like they, they, their schedules too full. They can't do their own move, their own like YouTube videos anymore. So um, this movie is just like handcrafted, like just incredible stuff. Uh, they're, they're learning as they go. And, uh, it's just, it, it blew my mind and I, I can't wait to see it again. I'm so excited. It's, it's actually going to play in our local theater. So I don't have to drive to Iowa city again, but, um, it would definitely be worth the drive. if It's That's not awesome. playing local, but man, like I said, I just, I can't stop gushing about it. We had to come home and record like a two hour podcast on it that night. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I love it'll it. Go probably see it. come. It'll probably get to our local theater eventually, but we're actually going to be in Cedar Falls this weekend anyway. So I think we're going to try to go see it there. Yeah, it didn't didn't come to our theater last week, but I, it's doing so well and getting so much buzz that it's like they're putting it out more widely. So it's it's hitting our theater this Friday. But um, wow. yeah, go check out everything everywhere all at once. It doesn't matter if you're just a, a genre film fan. I mean, you'll you'll seriously your face will hurt afterwards from laughing and crying. It's so good. Um, but I can't recommend a movie high enough. Uh, so that's what I watched. And I guess I will throw it to myself again for the next segment. Cause Jace is not here. Um, we're going to do pole position. From now on, like your parents were, you are the secret force of pole position. Okay, we're going to go back to the last poll position and look at results. It's sort of anticlimactic because Jason and uh, Mike aren't here, so we can't tease Mike about getting like last or second to last place. But if you don't <laughs> re- don't remember last uh, last time we did a poll position, it was best horror movie on a lake. Um, I believe that was the last one, and I hope so. And if it's not, Jason, you'll have to edit this out. But um, the if you don't remember the answers, Insane Mike said Creepshow 2 and Last House on the left. Um, mm. Jason had The Burning and Lake Placid. Uh, I had Piranha and Creature from the Black Lagoon. And Andy had Friday the 13th and Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Um, and then the Creature re- from the Black Lagoon's not on a lake. I don't care. Um, you know, <laughs> if, 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 if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's the old saying. But. Um, <laughs> 
creature from the Black Lake. Yeah, exactly. Uh, use your imagination as water. Who there, there is called. There's a movie called Creature of Black Lake, and it's a Bigfoot movie, and it has Dennis Fimple, who is Grandpa in House of a Thousand Corpses. So you should have picked that one, poser. What would you have picked if you were, you know, since we we, we have you here? <laughs> what are your two favorite lake movies? Uh, probably Crater Lake Monster and I don't know. I mean, Lake Placid is pretty damn good, but that was already picked. Yeah, so it's not know. as easy. I'm just going to go with Crater think. Lake Monster because, well, you put me on the spot. I wasn't prepared for this. Okay, sure enough. Yeah. My, mine would be the Ricky Lake show. You already had a chance to answer, and guess no. what? Yeah, and uh, I guess if Mike's not here, you somebody's got to fill in the cringe with the uh, the, the bad part. <laughs> But um, the result. Have you ever seen that show? It's yeah, it's horrifying. The um, anyways to the results, Andy and Insane Mike. Loch Ness horror. No, Andy and Jason tied for last place with fourteen point three percent. I the thirteenth got what? And then second place was Insane Mike with twenty eight point six percent, and then I won at forty two point nine percent. So apparently, um, people don't care. If um, Creature from the Black Lagoon is not a lake movie, they prefer it to the other. So um, once again, I win. So I guess now we will go into our new poll position. And as always, go over to our Twitter. It's uh, Twitter at AOTKP and vote for your favorites. Um, We are going to talk about our favorites or the best horror distributor I know Jason usually does a random number generator. I'm just going to be um, polite and let our guests go first. Um, Brian, what's your answer for best horror distributor? What the fuck is Twitter? And see, <laughs> you know what Twitter is. You're not that old. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you guys usually pick uh, do a couple. Am I supposed to pick multiples or just say one? I'm just doing one because uh, for for because uh, I'm lazy and uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to say American International Pictures. Okay. S- plead your case to the the listeners. Well, there, uh, Roger Corman, Vincent Price, the Edgar Allan Poe movies, House of Usher, The Raven, uh, the Haunted Palace. They did tons of other things too. Uh, God, Sugar Hill, the the mm. Voodoo Revenge zombie movie. Uh, yeah, for decades and decades and decades, they were the absolute kings of of horror. They were the the biggest independent studio in the world, and they made their name on cheap Jack horror movies and teeny bopper beach blanket movies. Hmm. I think you sold it to the listeners. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. How about you? Uh, whatever your name is, Andy. Yeah. Well, I'm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you might have, you know, heard my name once or twice. Um, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with the new one. I'm gonna go with Blumhouse. Ooh. Uh, you know, one word, Halloween, man. Um, there's a bunch of them that I can't think of off the top of my head, but Blumhouse is, 
it, they seem to be like the go-to one that's making very popular popular franchise horror films right now. So yeah, we got uh, they did. Did they do Candyman? I don't know if they did Candyman, but they did the Pur- have. the Purge franchise, and yeah, you know that sort of it's sort of their like you know if if Freddy if Freddy built the uh, new line cinema, um, then yeah. I would say the Purge sort of built Blumhouse up or the Conjuring. That would probably be more correct. Yeah. That's what yeah. their their other big ones. See, and I shouldn't be helping you sell your your pick. Um, I had yeah, a it sells itself, man. That's yeah, probably. I had a couple different ones. I thought about. Well, we'll talk about them in honorable mentions. But I'm gonna go with a twenty four. They've done some fantastic stuff, for, and and I'm doing modern too. So I'm I'm gonna go with a twenty four. I'm loving everything they've done. Um, and since Jason's not here to pick it, I have to pick it because he would have got it before me. Uh, and I don't have to sell my case because I win every week. So um, vote for A24 because it's the right answer. But uh, honorable mentions, you guys have any? Um, I'll go with Raven. Raven's Banner. They 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 put out some pretty. What the fuck is stuff. that? Raven's <laughs> Banner. It's a film distributor, right? But I've never heard of it. Like you said, they put out some decent stuff. Name something. Um. I think they did Dead Silence. Um, okay. Uh, I know. I know they've done. I know they've done good stuff. I'm not just <laughs> making this crap up. I promise. Um, I almost went with Universal just because the classic monsters, but I felt like that was almost cheating because that's like a huge, all-encompassing monster of a distributor. You know what I mean? And and you mentioned New Line. I mean, they did. They made great, great stuff. I mean, like you said, it's the house that Freddie built. Or um, Lionsgate was huge for a long time. Yeah. That's, yes, uh, I had a big list because I thought we soft. were doing. Now. Yeah. So I had Independent International, which was the company started by Al Adamson and Sam Sherman. They did all of Al Adamson's crazy movies like Dracula versus Frankenstein and Blood of Ghastly Horror. Um, there's Hemisphere Pictures, which is a big uh, Filipino exploitation thing. They did the Blood Island movies. Um, that was a big thing for Eddie Romero, Beast of the Yellow Knight. Of course, a lot of stuff with John. A- a lot of stuff with John Ashley and Vic Morrow. Uh, fucking Shaw Brothers, man. Shaw uh, Brothers okay. horror movies are fucking crazy. You got uh, Boxer's Omen. You got the Black Magic movies. You got Seeding of a Ghost. They have some gnarly. Uh, I think Corpse Mania was a Shaw Brothers movie, but I'm not 100% sure. That's almost a, like, it's like a Kung Fu Giallo. That's a weird one. Um, and then Golden Harvest, one of the greatest distributors of the Category 3 movie. So you got stuff like Ebola Syndrome coming from them. Real gross, gross shit out of Hong Kong. Well, see, I knew, at least with um, honorable mentions, that I, I knew you would come in with a list. So, uh you know, I, I think you made the right choice as far as getting someone to vote for you on on that um, newfangled Twitter. But, uh, you know, we, that's a debate every week. It's, it's like, do you choose what your heart tells you or what you think people will vote for? And um, I'm a sellout, so I always pick what people vote for. <laughs> and my VCR is still flashing 12 o'clock, so I'm going to have to listen to the next episode to find out what people voted for. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I'll, I'll send you the link and you won't click it. But um <laughs> two uh two movies that stand out from raven's banner uh right now are psycho goreman okay and 
VHS 94, actually. Okay, okay. You re- you redeemed yourself. I, I'm sorry for calling you and putting you on the spot of like, what is this? But um, you, you redeemed yourself. Those are two great. Two of my, they were on my list last year, both of them, um, right. for best of uh, 2021. So um, that's, that's a good answer, too. It's no A24, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> okay, so I guess that leads into our film discussion, what you came here for. So, Andy, what is our first movie? All right, our first canon film comes to us from 1985 by director Toby Hooper. It is called Life Force. From the director of Poltergeist and the writer of Alien comes a terrifying new film. I'm getting a very small radar cross section. 150 miles long. EGR is confirmed. Tell them we have an artificial object out here. Haley's Comet. There's something wrong. Something ancient. Something evil. Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Something's happening to me. Something hungry. That's brought to Earth. She's destroyed worlds. That girl was no girl. She was totally alien to this planet and our life form. Totally dangerous. I've just found a body in Hyde Park. Life Force. Close your eyes. I visited you how? In my mind. It's already spreading. You didn't stop it, it's too late. Come, be with me. Life Force. The Terror has just begun. All right, the space shuttle Churchill is assigned to observe Halley's Comet under the command of Colonel Tom Carlson, played by Steve Railsback. They see a strange form attached to the comet, and Carlson goes with the team to investigate. They find three humanoid life forms in caskets, and they bring them to the Churchill. However, Earth loses contact with the shuttle, and the Space Research Center sends another spacecraft to search the Churchill. They find the crew, they find the crew dead and the shuttle burnt and one rescue pod missing. They bring the humanoids to Earth, and soon Dr. Hans Falata and his team discover that the Space Girl is a sort of vampire and drains the life force from people, trans- transforming them into other um, life force-draining um, vampires. When the authorities find that Colonel Tom Carlson has survived, they summon him to explain what happened in the Churchill. Carlson tells an incredible story about the three aliens, and and he teams up with Colonel Colin Kane, trying to save mankind from the evil vampires from space. Um, (laughs) This movie's got a hell of a lot more working parts than your traditional vampire film. 
there's a lot there's a lot going on um you're easily distracted because Matilda May is just pretty much just butt ass naked the entire time um not complaining <laughs> uh the basically i mean they're they're energy vampires they they drain your life their your life force from you they just they zap the energy from you and whatever life force you have in you it's it's not like your traditional um blood sucking you know vampire movie um there's 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 mental telepathy there's mind reading he can see him in in her mind um supposedly this this space vampire uh this matilda may they call her space girl that's just her title in the movie uh is manifested in carlson's mind what the perfect female would be that's why he can't seem to resist her but I watched crucial moments of this movie a couple of times, and I'm still a little bit confused about the transference of energy between the vampires because they have to feed every two hours or they'll die and just, you know, completely just turn into dust. But the energy has to be transferred to the male vampire, then to like the female vampire, then it goes up into the spaceship, bringing more down. I mean, it's like I said, it's it's all it's a lot to take in. The um, I did enjoy the practical effects in this for for the time being. The um the computer generated effects are obviously dated if you watch this movie. Um but uh you've you've got a lot of you've got a lot of good a lot of good stuff in this movie, you know, like I said, the practical effects are good. Uh, you have Steve Railsback, who, you know, and yes, I'm going to plug Helter Skelter in this because he played the best Charles Manson ever, um, who also played Ed Gein as well. And he played the best version of that. He actually shares an on-screen kiss with, um, Patrick Stewart on, on this film because Patrick Stewart is possessed by the female vampire. Like there's within his mind. So she can occupy minds as too. Like I said, there's a hell of a lot of working parts in this film, and it's just, it's a, it's weird. It's it's un, it's unlike any um, film I've ever really seen. I can't really compare it to anything. Um, not even like not even regular vampire movies. Um, but yeah, if. You know, 80s sci-fi cheese with a lot of nudity is your thing, then Life Force is for you. I will Sold. hand this over. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I'll hand it over to you guys. What, what did what did you guys think of this? Brian, unleash unleash your feelings. Yeah, yeah <laughs> get down, man. I, I have many feelings. I love this movie. I got to ask first, though. I'm curious. What are you talking about when you refer to computer effects? Well, just like the the um like the the energy, like the way the way that it moves and it's like flowing up into the spaceship, and you know, um, you know, you want to know how that was done? How was they that took done? They, they took a, a piece of what what's called mirror lawn. It's it's sort of a, a it's sort of flexible plastic stuff, but it's it's reflective, mm. and they 
uh, they they lit it and blew cigar smoke in front of it against a black oh. backdrop so they could cut the cigar smoke out and then just optically printed it into the movie. A lot of stogies when Toby Hooper's around. I know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- th- those effects and and the miniatures, like the big alien spaceship, which I think is so fucking cool. Um, that it was is. all done by John, John Dykstra, who worked on all kinds of stuff. I think he uh, worked on Star Wars or Trek, I forget, but a you know, big sci-fi guy. And then all the the practical creature effects were done by Nick Maley, who also did the beast from Krull. We were talking about Krull earlier oh, off cool. pod. And, and he's the guy who built Yoda. Um, Who's Yoda? <laughs> and what's Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this movie has uh, some history. It started out as a novel by Colin Wilson called the space vampires. And it had been kicking around Hollywood for quite a while um, before we got to this Toby Hooper version of it. It was, the novels written in 76. I think it was originally optioned for film in like maybe late seventies or maybe like 1980. And uh, it was originally supposed to be directed by Michael Winner, who directed the first couple of Death Wish movies. Um, yeah. That option lapsed. Golan Globus um, or, and Dino De Laurentiis had that option on it. Um, when their option lapsed, Golan Globus bought it. And uh, when De Laurentiis wanted it back, Golan and Globus said, we'll give it to you for a million dollars. And Dino was like, what the fuck? Because if you know anything about Dino De Laurentiis, you know he's a cheap son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> they, they were going to have it directed by uh, this guy named Ferdinando Baldi, who directed a lot of like cheapo Italian war movies and stuff. And they were going to shoot it in 3D. And this guy who's used to these tiny little sets, like this was going to be, and and really kind of still was the movie that put um, the Golan Globus iteration of Canon films on the map. Because before this, they did a lot of sex comedies and some cheaper action movies, but this was like their big lavish, we're going to spend a fuck ton of money and, and you know, go beat up Star Wars kind of a thing. Um, this this, this so, movie and Masters of the Universe and Superman 4 were their ha- Canon's highest budget films, correct? Yep, they, they were. It was their kind of play to try to become a prestige studio rather than like this little independent exploitation outfit. And then they just wound up being a really big budget exploitation outfit after that. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> so um, for a, a whole pile of money to make uh, to make this, and he uh, one of his first loves, uh, you know, something he grew up with as a kid was the Quatermass movies made by Hammer. Um, and he kind of saw that like they were going to give him 25 million bucks for a budget, which was like, you know, more money than he had ever seen in his life before. Other than, you know, I guess he would just came off poltergeist that, but you know, he had total creative freedom on this poltergeist, you know, their stories, but so he shot at 70 millimeter. He was going to make his big Epic. And then it just, you know, uh, lots of, studio fuckery and things kind of got a little out of hand and a lot of people slag off on this movie. But like you were saying, there's nothing like it, whether you like it or you don't like this movie, you, you have to admit there is no other movie in the world quite like this. Exactly. And believe it or not, it is significantly less weird and less convoluted and complicated in its storytelling than the novel is. Novel is really fucking weird because Colin Wilson was was into um, he mostly actually wrote nonfiction stuff, so he has tons of work on uh, like sexual studies and and spiritualism and and uh, you know 
telepathy and mind powers and that kind of thing. And so he worked all, all of this weird psychosexual spiritual energy shit. And that's why they're energy vampires still even in the movie. But in the book, he even drags in a, a character named Count Magnus from an M.R. James story that's like 100 years old. So like he's just weaving all this stuff through. And he, he never really wanted to get into weird fiction. But he, he was had been in contact with August Derleth, who ran uh, Arkham House Publishing, who are kind of the people who rescued H.P. Lovecraft from obscurity after all the Weird Tales magazines were out of print. And and Wilson thought Lovecraft was a hack, and he thought all this weird fiction stuff was kind of cheesy. And he basically got into it on a dare from August Derleth, who was like, really? Well, if you think all of this stuff sucks, why don't you prove to us that you can do better? Why don't you show us how it's done, hotshot? <laughs> so he's like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. And he wrote uh, this, he wrote The Mind Parasites, he did some short stories, um, but yeah, mostly still in the in the world of uh, nonfiction, just sort of esoteric nonfiction. So I have a, you, might, you probably know this answer, but he went from, Toby Hooper went from, you know, arguably Poltergeist, which was a huge, huge, huge hit, how did he end up going from that over to Canon and doing this? I mean, I know it's like a big budget Canon, but it still seems like, you know, when Carpenter went from like the thing and it flopped, he went back down to like the indie pictures with this poltergeist is huge. You think that he would get another big Hollywood movie? Well, that's what this was supposed to be. That's what they promised him. That's what they gave him the money for. That's what they told him, you know, we're going to push this. We're going to make this big. And they actually signed him to a three picture deal. So that's how we got, this was the first one, and then he did the remake of uh, Invaders from Mars, which I have never seen actually. But I've, you know, that's another one that has kind of a love hate relationship. And well, actually, all of his canon movies do because the other big one, of course, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, which I fucking love. But yeah. a lot of people think it's not so good. So those were, and all of them tanked, I think. <laughs> and after that, that's why after these being given these tens and tens of millions of dollars to make these huge movies and like life force. I don't think made even half its budget back at the box office. So basically after he lost, yeah. And life force, I don't think even made half its budget back at the box office, if I'm remembering that correctly. And um, so, you know, after he basically took all of Canon's uh, money and out into the street and set it on fucking fire, that kind of turned, <laughs> Hollywood pariah. So that's why after the three canon movies, after this, Invaders from Mars, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, then all you see Toby Hooper doing after that is like TV and shitty direct-to-video movies. Well, wasn't this like these three movies, like, you know, Menachem and Urim, I mean, they basically said, like, here's some money, do what you want to do, do what you're, you know, you're passionate about. Because, like, I think Invaders from Mars for him was more or less him, you know, remaking these films that he loved as a child and, you know, just and re- recapturing that. And, of course, Texas Chainsaw 2, he wanted to, um, you know, amp up the comedy that he thought people missed in the first one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the um, Life Force and Invaders from Mars were, were his passion projects. That was, you know, they yeah. had the most creative control. I think the stipulation for you can do whatever you want with these other two, but you have to make us another Texas Chainsaw movie. I think was actually part of the deal. Yeah, which they didn't, which they never ended up liking either. Right. That's yeah, that's crazy. Just because I mean, I can understand Life Force not doing well at the box office. It's very, very strange and. 
Um, I was, I was late to this one. Like I didn't see this until I think until shout factory put it on Blu-ray and I did a blind buy, uh, on the recommendation of a lot of people. Um, and then it's funny cause I watched it and I don't remember if it was for a podcast or if it was just, uh, you know, stocking up on movies during some kind of sale that I needed to throw money at. But, um, it's funny later, like I, I ran into a friend who runs a retail shop and they had a VHS of life force. And I'm like, Oh cool. And he's like, is that a good one? And I'm like, yeah, I really like it. It might be a little weird for you. Cause he's not deep in the horror and, and sci-fi. And, uh, he was like, well, explain it to me. And I sort of sold it to, uh, you know, I sold it to him and like, and, and the main sort of, uh, villain is like a super beautiful woman who's naked the entire movie. And he's like sold. I'm like, you know, the internet exists, right? If that's all you want from it. But, um, you know, he took that V that VHS home for like 50 cents. So if it's an original release, it's worth money. Probably. Probably. 50 cents. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So did you guys have any final thoughts on life force before we move on to our next movie? I don't know if I got enough time to spit anything out before I get eaten by this damn tornado. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah. It's it's a movie. Um, <laughs> uh, Matilda May's uh, debut, and she's naked through most of it. I think she's got seven minutes of screen time, and she's naked for twenty five minutes of it. So you're you're good. It's, a, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's one of a kind. Go check it out. I got an article on it coming up in Scream at some point. It's in the can, and they have it. I have an interview with the. Uh, Nick Maley, the special effects guy, that's in the can and they've got it and all the pictures for it. So fingers crossed that comes out soon because I can't wait to see it in print. Yes, get, get that plug in because... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so Brian, what is our next movie? Our next movie is The Company of Wolves. <laughs> Family pet, a bedtime story, the familiar landscape of childhood. You have to come out sometime. You can't sulk in there forever. Where witches and wolves are the forces of evil. Where good will triumph and all will end happily. Your granny spoils you. She makes you think you're something special. That red show. But this is no fairy tale. <coughs> this is where legend ends and survival begins. Where the dreams of childhood hold no promise of a happy ending. Because you have... kind of wolves are hairy on the inside and when they bite you they drag you with them to hell she ran away did I scare you I am sorry
before my very eyes. Neither child nor adult, wolf nor human. This is the twilight world, which lies between the pages of any fairy tale. My, what big arms do you have? To deny it is to kill the child that lives within us all. To enter it is to kill the dreams of childhood. Jesus, what big teeth do you have? Where did you hear a story like that? Not a story, but God's honest truth. Granny told me. something uh, <laughs> uh so this is a very very uh unusual werewolf movie and it's also kind of a cheat because canon films didn't make this they just did distro for it in the united states this is a, a very british very british movie <laughs> uh made by neil jordan and co-written by him and uh based on some short stories by angela carter um so it's about this young girl named rosaline and it, the movie opens where they're, it seems like they're maybe moving into a new house. It's kind of a big sprawling mansion-y kind of thing. And her older sister's yelling at her and banging on the door. And she's trying to take a nap and not be annoyed by this. And while she's taking a nap, she dreams that her sister has run out into the woods and is being chased by all of her stuffed animals. And then she gets eaten by wolves. And that kicks off the story in this fairy tale dreamland where she sort of takes the role of Little Red Riding Hood and her grandmother played wonderfully by Angela Lansbury. She's so much fun. This movie is full of just fantastic character actors. Um, is, is, you know, takes her back to her cottage and is, is telling her all these stories about look out for werewolves. If you meet a man whose eyebrows meet in the middle out in the woods, you know, stay away from him. Never stray from the path of the wild beasts will eat you. And her parents are, trying to be as progressive as, as people can be progressive in, uh, in old timey times. Um, and this young boy in the village is kind of trying to woo her and always wants to go for walks with her in the woods. And, uh, it, the metaphors in this movie are not at all subtle, but it's very much about coming of age, puberty, getting your first period, uh, you know, courtship, childbirth, young people discovering sex, uh, discovering the animal inside them, that kind of thing. Um, at one point she meets the huntsman in the woods, the, the little red riding hood sort of story. And he bets her that he can beat her back to her grandmother's place. And, you know, when she gets there, he's already there and he's smacked Angela Lansbury's head off, <laughs> uh, which shatters into a million pieces because it's yeah. made of ceramic when it hits the wall. Like I said, it, it's all a dream. So it very much operates on the, the dream logic kind of thing where you just mm. kind of roll, roll with the strange imagery. But like I said, the, the uh, metaphors are not subtle. The subtext is pretty much text in this movie, but, um, and then eventually uh, she's chased back through the forest by the wolves, which most of which are actually just played by shepherd dogs. They're not, I forget what, it's not German shepherds. I forget what kind of shepherds they are, but they're cute and fluffy and they don't look like wolves. And I just want to cuddle with them. Um, and they come smashing through the window and knock all of her toys onto the floor. 
as though she is putting away childish things and flowering into an adult. I know I didn't describe that very well, but it's kind of hard to describe the plot of this movie because even though it isn't technically an anthology movie, it's told in these little vignettes. Like, right. you know, her grandma tells her stories, and at one point she tells the evil werewolf huntsman a story, and it's it's all just kind of convoluted, but it makes sense if you watch the movie. Maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, I- explain to me why that there was the story of a car pulling up in the middle of of a time where there you know cars were very very far off not to mention that the chauffeur looked like Joan Benet Ramsey and the guy and the guy riding it was freaking general zod you know selling what it, what the fuck was it werewolf tonic what? yeah I, basically I, I the, that that, 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 that's Taren, that's Terrence Stamp. He was playing the devil, and and the uh, the chauffeur is her in a blonde wig. It's her grandma telling the story about a man whose eyebrows meet in the middle may walk in the woods, and one day he will meet the devil, and the devil will turn him into a werewolf. That's part. That's one of the stories. That's what I'm saying about how it's like it's not an anthology movie, but it kind of is. So that's just a, a story. Kind of strange. Yeah, this wasn't that- my cup of tea. I. Uh... I had a hard time. I love this movie. That's I had a sad. hard time sticking with it, and and I could tell sort of right away that I'm like, oh, this isn't like an actual canon film. Sort of like when you watch a movie that was distributed by Troma but wasn't made by Lloyd Kaufman, you're like, oh, this isn't yeah. really a Troma movie. But and that's yeah, not saying it's too artistic. Yeah, and and I I think it's not because of the movie being bad by any means. I think it's just not my um, well. Here's a bad pun. My cup of tea. But um, <laughs> this this era, this type of movie, the British, the whole British thing, the just the time period, um, it's it's just not up my alley. So it had that going against it anyway. You know, if this movie had the A twenty four logo at the beginning of it, you'd be sucking it off right now. <laughs> uh, maybe, but uh, it didn't. So. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just I don't know. The, some of the some of the transformations were sort of cool and unique. Like, you know, yes. you can appreciate that because the practical um, effects were really good. Yeah, finding something unique to do with a, a werewolf is, uh, you know, not not an easy task. It seems like you know it's been done a million times, and um, we we continue seeing new ones. Like, uh, uh, what was it, Wolf Cop? You know, he I love that. I love <laughs> what they do with that. Explodes. Right. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, but, you know, th- this was pretty cool. Those scenes captured my attention. It's just leading up to that. I was just sort of like, what what the fuck's going on? And it just, it was hard to follow. And it's probably more so me just being distracted too. But uh, like I said, it's yeah, sort of... Ha- definitely a movie that you kind of need to pay attention to. Yeah. And I mean, I always hate to do this like where I'm like, you know, well, the other two, but like Life Force, I was, I've seen before. I was excited going in. Um, so already again putting it up against that i'm like oh it probably has no chance i love life force uh it just didn't it didn't have the canon feel to it to me and uh now that you say no not at all if you're if you're going in expecting it to be a canon be like a canon film because the the main the companies were palace pictures and itc entertainment who are the actual like the studios who backed the movie and neil jordan's a very artsy filmmaker i don't know if you've ever seen it his other uh, the other one i this isn't an artsy movie all at all, but I'm thinking off the top of my head, he did the brave one with Jodie Foster, that like kind of PG 13 death wish knockoff. Mm. But 
mostly he makes more artistic movies like this. Um, and uh, I'm going to be a little blasphemous here. Now I understand that American Werewolf was groundbreaking, like that extent of effects in one shot in full light had never been done on film before. And in that it is remains unparalleled. But personally, I think that the transformation scene where Stephen Rea rips his face off in this is cooler than the one in American Werewolf. This is probably my favorite werewolf transformation scene. Huh. That's a hot take. Remember, <laughs> like I said, I'm I'm not I'm acknowledging that it's not necessarily better. I'm just saying that for me personally, I think this one is cooler. And remember, Brian doesn't know what Twitter is, so don't tweet your hate messages <laughs> at us. Um, no, uh, go ahead and do it. Just clog them up. <laughs> put put them in a self-addressed stamped envelope, uh, or put out your <laughs> put out some smoke signals towards um, Northern Iowa, and and he might get them. Uh, send send your telegrams of anger <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah exactly pony express no i can i mean <laughs> I, I wouldn't uh expect any other you know i think people are used to your takes they're not um traditional but i think it's sort of yeah. i mean it's technically you know werewolf you're, you're comparing two transformations but it's almost apples and oranges and it, it's really weird to me yeah, that, it really it really is how did this even get like how did canon get involved with this one it just it doesn't seem like they just know. picked it up for distribution that's a pretty pretty safe bet you know you've got uh angela lansbury super famous um i don't think steven rio is really that well known at this point but you've got fucking david warner terrence stamp you've got all these really well-known character actors in this movie and all they had to do is say yeah we'll pay you x amount of money to stick it in theaters in america that was their total involvement with it they didn't fund it they had nothing to do with it other than putting it in theaters um that and can canon actually owned a lot of theaters as well you know, they, they needed stuff to put, yeah, you know, right. put in their theaters, you know, because uh, Urim, I think he bought a lot of, uh, you know, theaters in London and, and in America as well. So, I mean, yeah, you got to mm-hmm. fill, fill the screen. And it was kind of a, pres- you know, prestigious artsy, like I said, Neil Jordan's known for that stuff. It's based on uh, three short stories by Angela Carter, who also helped co-write the script. And she was, uh, I think, at one point awarded, like, England's greatest living novelist or something like that. I mean, she was a real high, high profile writer uh, in England. And the, there's the three short stories this is based on. One of them was called company of wolves. One of them was the werewolf and one of them, and very little of this one made it in, but most of the, like the, the, the wolf who gets shot and then turns into the girl and goes to the priest for help. That comes from, you know, it's a very altered version of a story called wolf Alice, which if you're a fan of the band, that's where they got their name from because oh. apparently the people in Wolf Alice are big horror fans. They also have a music video. That's all like evil dead and shit. Um, but they're a pretty cool band and, and, you know, clearly deep cut horror nerds. Cause you know, how many people listening to, I don't know what the hell you'd call them indie rock, I guess. And, 2022 are going to realize, Oh, they took their name from this weird werewolf short story from 50 years ago. Where did uh, white zombie get their name from? Oh, shut up. up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Did you guys have any final thoughts on company of wolves before we move on to our final film? I mean, we're, we're always um, open to hear more about uh, werewolf stories, Brian, if you got anything else. I have a fun bit of trivia about the movie. So you remember the scene where um, 
they're trying to trap that wolf that's been marauding around the village and they they make this uh pit trap and stake out a duck to it yes okay so <laughs> that was one. Uh, well you didn't i didn't know if you remember that part or not you, said you didn't like the movie and were distracted i don't fucking know so anyway that was one of a very few scenes where they used an actual wolf in the movie big tough wolf you know one of the scariest animals in the it gets up close to it the duck quacks at it scares the shit out of it it won't go <laughs> near the fucking duck and they had to find another wolf to finish the scene <laughs> that's hilarious oh yeah lots of uh, bark and no bite i guess right <laughs> right that, that's the, <sighs> i mean say the same Andy. thing about the movie Andy, did you? Oh, I was going to say, did you like this movie? Because basically, Tad said it sucked, and I said I liked it. And yeah, that's about uh, it. I thought it. I thought it had you know good scenes and everything. I'm. I don't know. I mean, I don't see myself ever watching it again. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can't get over the whole murder she wrote thing. I just I see <laughs> Angela Lansbury, and I, that's where my mind goes. It's like yeah. Werewolf, she wrote. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's like I'm I'm kind of on the same page as Tad. It's it's not really my kind of movie. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I I kind of like you know, I it's not it's not the time period. It's just maybe maybe it's more in the in the in the stories and the execution, you know, because I mean I I dig like the old school, you know, Vincent Price haunted palace, um, like like you said before, you know, conqueror worm kind of things, but um, oh yeah, yeah, it's just uh, this like 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 it, it, like the mood and the tone of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. I don't know. I mean, just and maybe maybe the storytelling in and of itself. Like, I mean, it, maybe if it was if it was just one complete linear storyline, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just. I mean, I don't. I don't hate it. I mean, it had its good parts, but it's just like, yeah, uh, I could leave it. I mean, it 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 is what it is. I think this one. Well, all you all you listeners out there in podcast land, I understand I did a terrible job of describing the movie because it is kind of hard to describe. But if you want a cool sort of slow moving, dreamlike, ethereal fairy tale horror movie, it's great. You can ignore these two. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's on Tubi, but I watched it on Canopy. If your if your local public library has Canopy. Uh, it's a great service and uh, not, not as good as shutter because they sponsor us. The canopy doesn't, but uh, you can watch this on canopy without ads, which drive me nuts on Tubi. So uh, yeah, you can check out the company of wolves. So I guess our third and final film is the one that I get to introduce and it is from 1980 and it is schizoid. Sick with revenge, twisted with hate. Hello? 
wasn't sure when that was going to end, but uh, Schizoid is an advice columnist in the midst of getting a divorce begins receiving threatening notes from an anonymous stalker. Meanwhile, members of her group therapy session are being murdered by an unknown assailant with a pair of scissors. This has uh, Klaus Kinski in it, who's always, uh, you know, makes every movie better, right? And then a yes. very a very young Christopher Lloyd appears in this um this is one of those that i had seen the poster and the imagery a million times and i've never seen the movie so um it's sort of one of those those weird things where like i've built up this image in my head of what it was going to be and it was not at all what i thought it was going to be um because the poster's Mm -hmm. like black and white with red text i'm like is this going to be sort of a cool like gritty film noir um whodunit maybe like a black and white giallo or something cool and um yeah it's more kind of gives the giallo vibe yeah and and, yeah on the poster he has like a cool hat and this you see the silhouette of scissors um and it's not that at all but it's still I, i enjoyed this one it has a lot of weird um sexual tension in it uh claws he just makes me feel uncomfortable in everything he's ever done in history that guy just mm-hmm. yeah just being his screen presence he didn't have to say anything and i'm like crawling my skin crawls he just he, i can just imagine uh, i've heard stories about him on sets and and you know not the nicest creep, guy dude. yeah yeah creep. yeah and i just you know whenever he pops up in a movie it's like not even just his character just him in general is is weird in that scene where at the beginning where he's like peeping on his daughter in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that there, there's some much further ickiness than that. I know, but that's when you sort of kick it off with that tone. It's like, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so the the craziest damn thing is in this movie, like Claus ends up, Claus's character actually becomes, he's like the voice of reason. (laughs) Right. Which is weird. Yeah, so this this advice columnist, she's sort of like a what they call that, like when there's like an infamous one where people write in and ask, um, dear Abby, dear dear, dear, dear yeah. Abby, yeah. So yeah, these people are writing in for advice, and it's sort of ironic because she's in the middle of getting a divorce herself. And I've always sort of hated that thing. Like our our local radio station has one; they do every morning, and it's like ask Savannah, and I'm pretty sure they're just getting these letters from like a source, you know, like they, that they send out to every radio station or whatever. And people take it so seriously. I cannot read the comments. I get so mad. So, um, it made me think of that, but yeah, this is, this was actually pretty cool. I mean, I watched it after the company of wolves. So, um, you know, had, had that going for it. Um, and like I said, cleanser. Yeah. Claus just makes me uncomfortable all the time. He could be playing like, uh, you know, the nicest, he could be playing Mr. Rogers and he just make me creeped out. So, uh, I imagine his neighborhood. Yeah. I imagine you, (laughs) I imagine you guys have seen this before, right? I, I had seen this cause I bought the, uh, the double feature with, um, X-ray, which is another great Canon film, uh, also known as hospital massacre. Um, 
yeah, this is, this was, uh, it had a lot of, uh, red herrings in it. It's kind of like a, like a whodunit. It almost kind of gave me, if, if they, if they would have given you more of a point of view, it almost would be like the, uh, Friday the 13th kind of formula. Um, at least, at least that's the way I saw it. Um, you know, basically, uh, very up close and, you know, mean spirited, nasty kills, nothing like really super creative. It's just a guy or a girl, if, you know, they don't want you to know who it is, but, uh, just kind of people just, you know, jabbing and, uh, just, you know, a lot of thrusting down with like scissors and stuff and scissors, um, a lot of scissoring in this movie. Yes, yes, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm immature. Scissoroid. Um, but uh, I, I always, you know, thought it was neat and refreshing to see uh, Craig Wasson in this movie. And this is yep. this is before his uh, um, and he's got a name close to mine. So um, <laughs> but uh, this is before he was working with uh, Brian De Palma and before he was in Nightmare 3, um, which is the only other two movies that I can name that he was in. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of basically a formulaic um, slasher movie, you know, of it of its time. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to say it's paint by the numbers because they try, they they went out of their way to try to make it unique because you couldn't they they were really trying and making an effort to kind of make you think who was who who the killer was. Um, turns out it was just a guy that was at the same time, you know, uh, cutting wallpaper for his office. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, I'd, I'd watch it again. Has and, Do- Donna Wilkes of angel fame in it. Oh yeah, that's right. And you, and you got Chris Lloyd, uh, as a weird handyman. Um, yeah. Oh. Uh, who else, who else we got here? Um, of of Rich, Richard Hurd. Okay, Mar- yeah. Mariana Hill. I'm just looking on the IMDb. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not, but you know, Claus is like the name that I recognize right away. Like when I googled this, you know, when Mike put out the list, I'm like, oh, uh, canon film with Claus, and then. He doesn't go full like Claus in this movie. He doesn't go. He was sort of like the Nick Cage of that time, I guess you could argue. Like yeah, he was there you go. notorious for being sort of uh, crazy, Outlandish. yeah, wild, doing crazy roles. So uh, a little let down, but you know, sometimes it's it's nice to see him a little subdued in this. But it's so funny yeah, to me yeah. to think like in any of these movies that he's viewed sexually because it's like seeing Gary Busey sexualized. It's like how did any female find him attractive? He, he looks like he has a dumb and dumber haircut. He, uh, is just a proportionately weird looking guy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looks, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to, you can't really just describe Claus Kinski. You just have to just, you just have to basically, experience him and just say yep that's uh, has a name ever has a name ever fit a human more than him like this is a perfect name for a guy that looks like that 
Yeah, I mean, he's he he's, he basically already has, like, a serial killer name to me anyway. I mean, it's just like, does Klaus Kinski just, like, kind of just... Kind of make you just, uh, you know, on edge just hearing that name? No, no, don't imagine his face. Just Klaus Kinski. Sounds yeah. I can't weird. not imagine his face. <laughs> I, I really, see yeah. it whenever I shut my eyes. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> yeah, so this movie... Uh, <laughs> Here we go. I I hadn't seen it before. And uh, I won't be, again, Vinegar Syndrome subscriber. I have this fucking thing on 4K. Oh, boy. Wow. Uh, and, and it came... They basically just ported up that old uh, uh, Scream Factory double feature. So I, I haven't watched X-Ray yet. Um but I hope X-Ray is better than that. Because this was boring. Klaus was like the only interesting thing. And just because he's kind of always interesting to watch. Oh, actually, Donna Wilkes did a pretty good job, too. That that dinner scene where she's like freaking out. Yeah, on, now about her, on her the, mom's dress. Right, yeah. Like, that was a really well... It's just so intense. And there was a lot of emotion in that. And there's some, you know, some interesting f- framing device, you know... Uh, camera angles and shots and things in this, but it's just like, it's the kills aren't particularly gory. It wants to be a giallo. Cause you know, you got the black leather gloves and all that kind of stuff, but, yeah. and you know, apparently they were, they were rewriting it throughout the whole thing. So again, it's just kind of like trails from one thing to the next without the benefit of saying, this is a fairy tale and a dream a girl is having. This is just actually happening. And everyone just sort of meanders around and makes dumb choices. Um, so the writer and director, David Paulson had worked with Menachem, uh, in Israel and made some movies for him and Yoram over there. And, um, so one day was went into a diner in LA to get something for lunch and ran into Menachem's wife and said, Oh, what are you doing here? And she goes, Oh, we moved here. We took over Canon Film because Canon Films was a thing way before the Go Go Boys got a hold of it. We took over Canon Films. Uh, you know, Menachem would love to see you. Go, go see him in, in his office. So she gave him his phone number. And the next day, he went to visit Menachem. He's, Hey, David, how are you doing? It's great to see you. You got any ideas for me? And he goes, No, but call me tomorrow and I'll have one. And he <laughs> called him tomorrow, and uh, he, he told him you know, some of the idea, but it wasn't much of an idea because you'd only had the night to sleep on it. He goes, great. Do you have a treatment or a script? And he goes, no, but call me next week and I will. And uh, Menachem says, all right, well, you can do whatever you want. There's only two conditions. Keep in mind, they met in January of 1980. Says, you got to use Klaus Kinski because we have a contract with him and you have to be shooting by March. And he went, oh, fuck. Okay. So using Klaus Kinski as not the killer was completely intentional because like if i have to use klaus kinski i can't make a horror movie because everyone's going to know he's the killer so i'm just going to use him as the world's greatest red herring right and uh and then you know came up with all the other stuff which by the way the killer is not it's schizo effective anything like that's he, he should have read his uh what's the the mental health the dsm is that the yeah. guidebook of different mental Di- disorders diagnostic anyway. medical uh, blah 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 yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, is it just me or does this have the most incoherent 
made up on the spot sounding score you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the music is yeah. just fucking nonsense. <laughs> it feels like it was written. Like somebody put a keyboard in front of a person who had never even heard of a keyboard before and said, write me some music for the movie. Claus and he just kind of turned on all the switches and, and laid down on it. Yeah. Claus composed it with his feet. I don't know if you read that anywhere. But... <laughs> <laughs> I would believe it, honestly. <laughs> so, so we were sitting watching it, and you know, he's he's creeping on his daughter in the bathroom, which they never really go anywhere. Like they, oh. I feel like that's it, it's set up to make you think that he's the killer, or maybe she's the killer, or whatever. But it's really fucking icky on its own, regardless of killings. And right. then they just never mention it again. But Terry goes, "Oh, that's really creepy that he's, uh, you know, he's kind of spying on his daughter in the shower, and seems like and." Uh, well, apparently, now she denies this, but in his autobiography, Klaus Kinski claims that he really was fucking Donna Wilkes during the shoot. And that while he was doing it to, to help him get off, he was imagining his real daughter because in real life, he done fucked his daughter. All right, that's been this that's episode of Attack of the Killer. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> this has been uh, Attack of the Killer podcast. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> good night so no, you're no. saying he gives you the creeps and you think he's an icky dude he's a really fucking icky dude uh, he was a horrible human being yeah i, I know even, that i've brought the room down yeah i was gonna say i don't even know how to reply or where to go from there you've derailed the entire show um don't read <laughs> don't read Isn't that, that why you have me here <laughs> exactly oh jesus don't don't trust any you know, uh, actor or or director with the you know with the last prefix in their, uh, suffix in their name ski. You know, Polanski, Kinski. Yeah, bad idea. Yeah, yeah it's oh man. I don't I, like. What do you, how do you I follow up with that? Now, what do I do? What do I do with that? <laughs> anybody have any it's final time thought? for yeah. shout outs? Yeah. Anybody have any thoughts on? Uh, schizoid before you know maybe a palate cleanser there was was there any cute dogs in this or anything god um yeah i think i need to take a shower now i think i need to like a hot bath like you know the whole, <laughs> I, I need to burn my clothes um what thank, the hell dude did you just thank you for bringing uh your insight to it brian <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, I guess actually that anytime is... Anytime I can come on and just break the show, you know. That's... Yeah, I mean, this is, a, I guess, a great time to take a quick break and hear from the Prescribed Film Podcast Network. Um, there's a million shows on there, and I've been on 50% of them, and they're all fun to listen to. They're all about movies. Um, it, there's just so many great shows, so check out the pfpn.com, uh, and then uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.
what were you going to say, Brian, before we uh, hit that bumper? You had one, <laughs> one final thought on that movie? I thought, I, th- I thought you were going to very tactfully cut me off there. I was just going to say, and probably most of those shows don't even talk about incest. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess well, they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I'm just going to m- try to move on and, you know, get the show back on the rails. Um, it is time for everybody's favorite segment. We're going to go over to shout outs. It's time for shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. So as always, we put it out there asking everybody, um, what are your favorite films from the Canon group? Over on Twitter, the Bad Movie Bunny podcast on the PFPN, you just heard from them, um, says, I have to go with a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, but Dangerously Close had its charm as well. By charm, I mean a good soundtrack. I haven't heard of Dangerously Close. I don't think I have either. Okay, so over on Facebook, Jason uh, posted and asked the same thing. Um, what are your favorite films from the Canon group? We had Tim Lennerer. He says, he's got a long one as always. Um, he says, Gold Trash Can. Street Smart is a daylight noir where Christopher Reeves plays a journalist who made makes up a story that turns out to be astonishingly popular in both the police and pimp trying to avoid a murder trial close in on him looking for his non-existent notes. Want to watch a real son of a bitch panic as the walls close in and everybody refuses to believe his actual confession? Check this one out. Also, Reeve has only agreed to be in Superman, the quest for peace if canon would make this film. So it's the passion project he that gave us one of the best worst movies ever. Um, Silver Trash Can. The Apple is a disco musical about the fall of Adam and Eve with a reggae soundtrack from the Antichrist explaining how much fun it is to be in charge of the world, a cock rock song critiquing American energy policy, and a story that record skips from Genesis to Revelation in a way that prefigures the rapture-obsessed political right in America, ignoring actual Jesus in their politics. Catherine Mary Stewart. If you guys haven't seen that, you really need to. Mm Mm-hmm. That one is must see to believe kind of thing. (laughs) He gives his uh, bronze trash can to break in and break into electric boogaloo where attempts to cash in on a mid eighties fad and are significantly better than they had to be. Sunny pop art looks at settling your issues through dancing better than your enemies and then dancing with them anyways. Also in the second movie, one of the protagonists dances up the wall and onto the ceiling Thanks to the Cannon guys borrowing the rotating room from the first Nightmare on Elm Street for something other than a hundred gallon blood geyser. Um, and- another thing, um, if you watch the first break in, keep your there's a dance scene out in the street. You know, these guys are, you know, you know, competing with each other. Keep your eye open for a very young Jean-Claude Van Damme cameo. He's actually in the background and he's dancing at very, you know. This is before Kickboxer, so keep nice. your eye out. It's actually entertaining. And then Tim has some um, honorable mentions. He says, uh, honorable mentions to Life Force, and, and uh, I'll try to read it as he typed it, Buck, Naked, Quartermass. Um, Ninja 3, The Domination, uh, he says, Flashdance meets The Exorcist. Bloodsport, a top-tier trash classic with Bolo Young and Beast Mode. And f- also for them, distributing but not producing Vault Paul 
Verhoeven's Flesh and Blood, the first Highlander movie, The Hitcher, Frank Henenlotter's Brain Damage, and the Tom Hanks movie Big. So uh, thanks, Tim, for always leaving us a page of notes. Um, <laughs> we also have Flesh and Blood is awesome. That's uh, yeah. It sounds cool. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's uh, Paul Verhoeven's Paul Verhoeven's first English language movie. It's got uh, Rutger Hauer and Jennifer Jason Lee in it, and it's really really good. I've got that. Very cool. Uh, Blake Ginnathan says Invasion USA, which we've uh, we brought up on the uh, bonus episode. And then uh, Mike Reeve, the Reapster, says uh, for horror, the Toby Hooper movies, especially Invaders from Mars, are pretty great. And that one was brought up and I haven't seen that. Uh, Brian hasn't. Have you seen that one, Andy? Um, I've got it. I've only seen bits and pieces. I think uh, Karen Karen Black is in it. Mother Mother Firefly. OK, cool. Um, but it's, it's very, um, very tongue in cheek. I mean, uh, it, I think it's more kid oriented than it is actually horror, but I mean, I'll let you make that decision for yourself. If you see it. Reeve also says, uh, Cobra is the best Canon horror movie. And I am prepared to defend that statement as for the best overall Canon movies, invasion USA and Delta force are my two all time favorites. Then we go over to the Facebook group where Nick Leadham says, Bloodsport seems to be an obvious choice, but I'm a sucker for Masters of the Universe. Life Force was pretty fun, too. I'm also up for anything with Ninja in the title. (laughs) And then we had one over on Instagram. Our friend Roman Only Hanshot says, American Ninja. So um, the Ninja movies, very popular with our listeners. No surprise. Um, yeah, and then I believe we also have a couple voicemails, so uh, let's hear from them. Hello, this is Aaron Reese from Campfire Indoctrination Podcast. My favorite canon film is the 1987 film starring well, Frank Stallone, but also Mickey Rourke and Faye Dunaway, Barfly. Has anybody seen that? Anybody seen Barfly? Only bits and pieces. I have not, no. Uh, M- Mickey Rourke and Faye Dunaway just being shit-faced a lot, I think. I saw it pop up on a lot of lists when I like Googled, you know, I was Googling canon films. That seems to be one that's like critically sort of acclaimed, like as an actual movie, not just a canon movie. They, they say Runaway Train, which I think we sh- probably should mention, too, that uh, is a really, really good uh, canon film. That one's highly critically acclaimed because I think Eric Roberts was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And it's actually a really good movie. <laughs> I have nothing to say about the movie, but Aaron sounds so much like Justin Beam, it's a little unsettling. They have very similar temperaments too, like uh, very calming and uh, yeah. ch- chill guys. Uh, yeah, Aaron's a good dude. So uh, we uh, we can't go a full episode without hearing from um, you know who. So let's let's dive into the next voicemail. Hey, attackers! Attacker Brian again this week, and this time we're talking about canon films. God, so many memories of canon films. You see that big canon logo pop up, and you just like you know you're in for a wild ride. And as much as I love the canon horror, I love a good, you know, blood sport, good over the top, 
life forces horror, but when I think canon, I have to go to my favorite Tex Chainsaw Massacre. Tex Chainsaw Massacre 2, probably one of my top five horror movies. I just love Tex Chainsaw Massacre 2. I hope you guys do too. If not, eh, that's all right. Hope you guys all have a great week. Take care. Bye. Godzilla, you know that I agree with you, and that's my favorite Texas Chainsaw movie too. Um, yeah, it's just goofy fun. It's very, it, I mean, it's like you took uh, Texas Chainsaw and put it through a Canon filter. So, you know, what's, what's not to love? I don't know. Well, how do you guys it's feel got, about it? It's got nubbins. Yeah, and Chop Top. <laughs> and, and it's, yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's got some of the best one liners I've heard in. Uh, it's got the best one-liners in any of the Texas Chainsaw films. You know, uh, you know, I built you a little fry house, darling. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> and we have Savini special yeah. effects. I mean, uh, and a cutscene with Joe Bob Briggs. No, I'm I'm on board with that as well. I I fucking love Texas Chainsaw too. That Godzilla fella, he's he's a man of distinguished taste. He is, I guess, unless he's at a dollar, unless he's at a Dollar Tree. <laughs> he just can't help himself when movies then are he, he, then he is a man of then he's a man of indiscriminate taste very true but we still love you Godzilla. thank you guys for um, chiming in I uh, can't wait to hear from you next time and that sort of brings us to a close but I want to um, let Brian sort of plug a few things I know you mentioned it a few times that you actually have an article on Life Force coming up um, what else you got coming up yeah, I should. I don't know when that's coming up. They don't tell me their printing schedule, and and why would they? I just turn the articles in, and they, you know, I, I've given them stuff, and they've turned around and put it in the next issue, and they've had stuff from me on the docket for two years that hasn't been printed yet. It's just whatever fits and whatever theme they're working with. But uh, in the current issue that's out right now, uh, I have a piece on uh, Joe Diamato's uh, Beyond the Darkness, Buio Omega, Buried Alive, all the other titles that it's known by. Oh. Um, I'm working on a piece on John Carpenter's vampires right now. That'll you know be a little while. Nice. I just started that one. Uh, if you look me up, B-R-Y-A-N Clark on Amazon, you'll find my author page, or you'll find the other Brian Clark spelled the same way that writes <laughs> Gabe Horn, which if that's your thing too, that's absolutely cool. Go go read whatever you whatever you wish to enjoy. I've uh, got a few anthologies on there and one self-published short story you can read on Kindle Unlimited for free if you want. I still get a couple of pennies. Uh, the most exciting thing recently though is and this just came out last week um i got to do my first foray into voiceover work so uh my buddies in the band coagulate which are this killer death metal band from minneapolis who write all about brian lumley's necroscope series the vampire world if you're familiar with that kind of stuff um and you like death metal you should definitely check it out they just put out a rehearsal demo uh two tracks go on Go to Bandcamp and look up Sewer Rot Records, and uh, and you will find this this demo uh, towards the top of their new release section. And uh, I got to do some narration on one of the songs for uh, some stuff that my buddy Andrew wrote for me to read. So that was pretty cool. I'm excited about that. A man of many talents. That's really cool to nice. do voiceover work, man. Like on a metal album, and that's that's just freaking awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I'm I'm pretty proud of it. I think it turned out really good, and I'm real excited for to you know, for people to hear it and you know, maybe to get to do some more somewhere down the road. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. It's always fun yeah, when thanks, you're uh, you're on here and you sort of saved this episode with uh, two of our main cast missing. Uh, I don't think me and Andy could have uh, filled in and, and talked for long enough to make a full episode. And we always enjoy your uh, unique perspective and insight into films. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment, I think. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a compliment. Whether it was meant as one or not. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah it's genuine, too. It's genuine. All right. Well, I guess that does it for Great. this well, episode. Thanks for having me. I oh, always love okay. coming back. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and yeah, thanks, you know. Brian. Anytime, come back. You're, you know, well, I'm sure you'll be on in the next couple months. You're always, you're always welcome. The door's always open. Um, but yeah, that that concludes another episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh no! Could this be the end of Attack of the Killer podcast? Attack of the Killer.